Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and my listeners get the secret backstory behind every book. Now, I know that I'm not supposed to be partial to authors that I interview, but I'm about to bring back a person that I enjoyed talking to so much the very first time. She's back. Her name is Fonda St. Paul, and we're here to talk about her new chilling serial killer murder mystery, Samuel. Now, Fonda is a voracious reader with a really vivid imagination. And over the years, she's entertained so many readers with her books and her exceptional talent for telling a really chilling story. The backdrop of the new novel, Samuel, is the New York City Theater District, and it has the feel of an insider the minute you open the cover of the book, actually, when you see the cover of the book. Fonda not only lived in the city, but she also performed on the Broadway stage. She won a prestigious Repertory Theater Award for her dramatic performance as Barbara Allen in the play Dark of the Moon. She's considered an expert in the field of serial killers. She's done more than 25 years of research into the criminal mind. Not only that, but she's done face-to-face interviews with the serial killers themselves, as well as their family. She's created and executive produced several crime reality shows in the Los Angeles market. And being bi-coastal, going between New York and Los Angeles, for many years, that's given her the opportunity to produce plays for other writers in the New York and Los Angeles market. She's been a guest speaker in many schools, and she's been on several podcasts where she discusses the in and outs of writing and being self-published. I love that what she does with this. She inter- she encourages these young student writers not to lose their de- dream of being a writer just because they're dyslexic or they have some other learning disability. Fonda herself has coped with dys- dyslexia for years, and she keeps it cr- on creating every day. Fonda, I don't mean to rave, but it's just so good to have you back on Books on Air. Welcome. Thank you for being my guest. Oh, I am so thrilled to be your guest, and it's so good to be back again with my new book and to be talking to you again, Suzanne. I've enjoyed the very first time I've done it, and I'm enjoying this the, the most. Well, I was looking so forward to it today. It's almost like we've been friends. I have that little connection to New York and New Jersey myself, and I have to say, I'm curious. I don't know if I've ever asked you this question. When did you develop this interest, this wanting to do research into the minds of serial killers? When did that start for you? This started many years ago. Um, I was reading a lot of romance stories, and my very dearest friend in the world, Madeline Ford, said to me, you know, why don't you just write? You're always reading. Why don't you just write? If anybody can do it, you can. She's got a great imagination. So I sat down one day, not knowing if, you know, I could really do this. So I sat down and I wrote about maybe 150 pages. And I brought it to a very, very prominent uh, producer and writer. And he said, well, read it out loud. See what you think of it, which I did. And um, I found out in the middle of this romance story, which is, this is really true. I killed about two people in the, in the story (laughs) itself. And I said, gee, that works for me. (laughs) And I started reading authors that wrote 
about nothing but serial killers. And um, I believe Thomas Harris was the first one I picked up. Then I got a friend. I had a friend who introduced me to the very first person who um, started profiling in the FBI. And he got me in touch with Douglas, John Douglas, uh, at the FBI when they were still doing profiling. And I just got lucky with them. I got lucky with these wonderful gentlemen who took me aboard and started showing me things and telling me what to read, what to look into, giving me sites I could go into that no other person could to do my research. And I got so hooked on it, I couldn't stop. But the one thing that interested me the most, and has always, I have been fascinated with the criminal mind. And being married to an attorney, trial attorney, I always say to him, don't you ever wonder why they did that? And he says, no, we never ask that question. (laughs) We just, you know, we go with what they tell us. I said, but I'm fascinated that somebody would take the time to say, I'm going to do this. I mean, where does their head go in that second before or that minute before? How do they do it? Where do they come out of it? I mean, what are they thinking? And that just interested me so much. So then I got involved in the criminal mind. And that's when I started really doing a tremendous amount of research into serial killers. It amazed me how many that were out there, especially in uh, London. There, like, there is like a whole, a whole little community. I hate to put it that way, but wow. quite a number of them in, in London and quite a number of them in Italy, Australia. And I just got so hooked, I couldn't stop. What's it like, Fonda, to sit down? Across, I mean, are you literally face to face with them? I mean, are you? Is there yes. glass between you, or are you sitting no. there? No. What's no, it, no glass. What's it like? What they do is they bring them in in chains. They chain them to the table so their hands don't move, their feet don't move. There is nothing between you. They show the writer or the interviewer where there's a button underneath the table. If that person gets frightened or feels any kind of apprehension, then the guard can come in and, you know, take you out and take him out. And um, it's very odd. It's It's a very chilling feeling and an odd feeling to all of a sudden be sitting in front of somebody that has killed an enormous amount of people in the most despicable way possible. It's hard to think that someone's life ended that way. And um, I learned to turn myself off. I have to. They have quite a number of rules for these people in prison because they're all on death row. And they also have um, they also have a lot of things that they don't have to talk to you about. So questions that I would want to ask them have to be submitted to the warden who submits it to that particular killer who will say that inmate who will say yes or no. And they get involved in the interview. And if they're really highly intelligent, like, for instance, Ed Kemper, who is very intelligent, they get very interested in what you have to say to them. And they get interested in you, why you're there. Um, And so it. It's 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 very chilling to all of a sudden see someone sitting in front of you who've done who have done this to people. And people have said to me, has there been at any point where you wanted to get out of the room? Sure, there have been. There's been points where I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing sitting here? (laughs) But, you know, I mean, how long is this going to keep going on? But then I I get involved in it. I see where they go with it. I watch the manipulation because they're extremely manipulative and also very um, narcissistic. 
because they want control of that interview, just like they had control of the people that they have murdered. So, um, and I don't give control that quickly. You know, I'm, I stick to what I want to find out. And um, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting thing to sit there and talk, talk to someone. The experience is amazing to all of a sudden just sit there and say, look who I'm sitting in front of. Yeah. And they're very taken with themselves. <laughs> you know, they're very taken with themselves. And it's the idea. And it's, it's, it's very frightening. So when the interview is over, it's like the first thing I want to do is shower immediately <laughs> and rid my mind after I record everything, you know, rid my mind of that person entirely, which is very difficult to do. But, you know, it's a, it's a, a thing I take myself through so I can feel clean again. You almost have to put on a different persona, don't you, whenever you do this? You really do. When I did Gary Leon Ridgeway, it was a cameraman and myself. And the first thing they did was take us to all of the areas that we had buried people. And I'm looking at this, this camera guy that I adored. And I said, I can't believe we're in the middle of Seattle and we're in the middle of the Green River serial killers hiding place where he hid all these women. And there we were. And these are places now that are golf, golf courses, you know, beautiful gardens. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, my God. Oh, my God. All these women were killed here, brought here, buried here. You know, it, it was just chilling to, see, to feel that. Chilling. And they put us up in a hotel where he would pick up the girls. Oh. And it was just, I thought, oh, my God. That really took my breath away. It really, really did. That was really something very hard to do. So what he and I did every night, we would go to a different hotel and we would have dinner at one of these beautiful places just to be rid of the day because we spent the entire day with his best friends and his wife of 16 years who didn't have a clue. So that was the only way that he and I could just take a deep breath and we would be so tremendously exhausted that we couldn't even sit there and have a drink. We would just eat our food, go back to the hotel and go to bed because the next day we were there 10 days. This would start all over again. Wow. Fonda. So it was, it was a very difficult thing to do. So, wow. Well, let's talk about the novel. Let's talk about Samuel. Sure. Now, Samuel is a very interesting character. You introduce us to him. I open the the book, and there he is. And you introduce us to him immediately. And we have a picture of him all of a sudden as the, the plot begins to unfold in that very, very first, even the first page, you begin to see this guy. I mean, who did you base him on? That he's based on uh, Bundy. He's based, he's based on Ted Bundy. Wow. He's Ted was a smart. chilling character. I couldn't agree more. He was, um, yeah, he was a chilling character. Very, very bright, very good looking. And he hid in plain sight wherever he went. He had the ability to enter hospitals, to enter colleges and take up a position. No one questioned who he was. No one said, well, you need to get out of here. Where'd you come from? He knew when to get out. He knew when his time was up. But in that time span, he got what he wanted. He knew who his next victims were. 
and he followed through on that. And Ted was a chilling character to follow, an extremely hard one to study. But um, I, I had to go through with it. So that's who Samuel is based on. He's a true chameleon. Wouldn't you say that sort of describes yes, him? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's exactly what Ted was. Great at disguises. And a very, very, he was a teacher's assistant, really. That's what he did. And he helped out on suicide hotlines. Oh, how ironic yes. is that? I know, I know. <laughs> oh, my so gosh. So I thought, well, let me get him out of my system because he kept sticking in my head when I started writing, Samuel. That's all I could think about. So I had to go with it because when they stay with me like that, mm -hmm. I have to like, I have to go and get it out of my system. So I thought, all right, let me stay with him, fully not knowing where it was going to go at the time. Because as I stated, I started it in the, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So I didn't know where I was going to go or if I was even going to finish it. But once I started, I knew I had to get him out of my system. You know, and I happens. had to introduce him immediately. Boy, you did. <laughs> wow, you scared the pants off me with that very first <laughs> chapter. I thought, holy cow, because it's the thing that you do, you have such you have such a command of language and your language is so vivid and your pictures that you paint with the language just reach out and grab the reader by their literal lapels and jerk them into the world of this person. And you just do it so skillfully that you don't realize how what a scary situation you're in as this character. And all of a sudden, she's got things going through her head. Let's give them a little overview of the novel, Samuel, because mm -hmm. we're talking sure. about it, and they won't know what we're talking about. So let's give them a little overview. Sure. Okay. Um, he's in the Big Apple, New York City, and he's at the favorite spot where I always have lived, and that's on Broadway. And he um, is searching all over Broadway because he, all, he used to pick up his girls in this novel. He picks them up at the public library, which is uh, the beautiful public library in New York. And um, he picks up this one afternoon. He sees this gorgeous girl who happens to be a Broadway dancer, very young. And he is so taken with her beauty that he can't get her out of his mind. So he starts following her, basically. She is very bright, though. She senses someone, and she senses him, and there is an immediate dislike to him, an immediate turnoff that she has towards him, that he has made this promise to himself that he is going to keep stalking her until he gets her, because this is where his head is at. And he keeps following and following until finally he's, you know, brought to, um, brought to her every which way he can be and every which way he can hide. But um, she has a way of keeping him away any way she can, even though she has put through many changes going through her life in this new place she finally gets. So his last dream of capturing her forever in eternity, of course, doesn't happen. I couldn't let that happen to her. But the beginning of the book, the prologue, which I will read, is really what Ted did to one of his first victims. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, I've changed a little bit of where he did it, but his first victim, he, he got this way. 
and so easily to trick. He was very good at tricking these women. And these were not stupid women by any means. They were just taken in by a person that will say, well, he doesn't look that, he looks good looking guy. You know, he seems like a nice man. And that's what he played. Unfortunately for them, they, that they meant their demise, but he got away with what he needed to get away with to meet what he needed to have met. Wow. Do you want to read that now? Sure. This is a prologue. He struggled with the medium-sized chair. There wasn't any way he could get it into the van with his left arm in a cast, so he backed up a bit and gave it one more try. No go. The parking lot was pretty empty at the furniture store this fall night. He was thinking of giving up, but wanted to give it one more try, so he kept struggling. The blonde sat in her car watching him a few feet away. She hemmed and hauled whether to get out and give him a hand. He looked harmless enough, especially with the cast on his arm. You never know, as her mother used to say to her, God rest her soul. She watched a few more minutes and then decided, well, what the hell? Really, how much harm could he do with one arm and a cast? She got out of her Prius, not even locking the door. Hi, you must need some help, she asked, walking towards him. As she got closer, she also noticed that he was younger than she had thought and very good looking. Oh, wow, could I, he answered. I brought this chair earlier and then went and had my arm recast. By the time I got back, all of the help was gone except the cashier's. Now I'm having a hell of a time loading it into my van. Yeah, I noticed. Here, let me give you a hand. Thanks so much. That's really very kind of you. As she approached, she asked, how do you think we should do this? He looked at the situation and then back at her. Maybe the best way is if you help me lift it. I can balance it on my leg or something. While you get in the van, then I can sort of hoist it up with your help. Sound good to you? She got a bit hesitant looked around, hoping that maybe at the last minute the employees would wander out of the furniture store. Well, he asked again, I'm open to another idea if you have one. She finally just gave in. Nope, yours sounds about right. She went over to, she, um, I'm sorry, she went over to where he was. Oh, by the way, my name is Emily. Hi, Emily, I'm Samuel. Hey, Samuel. She got a grip from the chair on the left side of him, and together they hoisted it into the open space of the van. I'll hold it while you get into the van, but please hurry. I'm at a bit of a disadvantage here, working with just one arm. She had gone this far, so it was now or never. She jumped into the back of the van and grabbed the chair. He shoved it roughly towards her, causing her to lose her balance and fall back. Hey, what the hell are you doing? She shouted. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. I felt it going. I didn't want to break a foot as well. You okay? She got up and answered, yeah, I'm fine. She started to brush herself off when suddenly he was in the van with her. It happened so fast that she didn't have time to react. He was all over her, duct taping her mouth, her hands, her feet. Her mother's word kept resonating in her head. Her last thought before she passed out was, oh, Emily, you have just made the biggest mistake of your life. Oh, Fonda. And yes, she did. Oh, Fonda. <laughs> yes, she definitely did. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm right there in the parking lot with her. You know, I'm right, I'm struggling with this. I can see this guy. I mean, you do such mm-hmm. a fabulous descriptive job with this. Thank now, you, Susan. Now, let's talk about the detectives. Sirico uh, and Klinger. Yes, they're back, my two they're guys. back from Encore, <laughs> Encore, right? They are. They definitely are. And they're really having a hard time with this. Klinger, uh, well, both of them are so good at what they do, but they're used to closing a case and really moving on it quickly with the team that they work with. And this man, this uh, Samuel, has come into Klinger's vision once before. And for the life of him, he can't remember where he saw him. 
but he knows he has seen him before. And it has bothered him tremendously because it gives him a sick feeling in his stomach. And he can't, he can't just place him. So he brings Dan basically out of retirement because at the last in Encore Encore, Dan had a heart attack and took some time off at the end. So he goes to the house and he basically says to him, you got to come back in the street with me. I need you with me to help me because I know this guy. And they run into him several times in little bakeries and little bodegos in New York. And they just kind of miss each other. And then Jack will turn around and say to Dan, that's him. That's that guy. And Dan will say, you sure? He's not telling you that's that guy. I don't know where I've seen him from. They finally track it back to where they did see him. And, um, and where Jack finally, you know, realizes why it's bothering him the way it is. But this has turned into, for Jack especially, to the point where he almost thinks of, re- of getting out of the force altogether because he can't believe he can't capture this person, that he can't grab a hold of him, that he's showing up in so many different places and leaving as quickly as he has shown up. But he is so amazing with disguises that he goes from a teacher, which he is, he's a, an assistant teacher, at a very prestigious um, boys' school in Upper Manhattan on the east side. He goes from that to being a homeless person in the street. And everything he does to disguise himself is so perfectly done, which Bundy was a master at. And he just, he really was. And so Klinger is having a very, very difficult time trying to swallow over everything he's missing. And Dan is trying to keep him, you know, in line because he sees what his partner is going through. And he knows how dangerous this can be. But Klinger is determined. And so the two of them really start working this case together. And they go back to O'Bannon, their captain, that would let them do anything because he believes in them so much, even though he's as boisterous as he can always be. (laughs) But he gives them the leeway they need to pursue this person. And I mean, they really pursue him to the point where it, it bothers Samuel. And his head is, I got to get away from these two cops, these two detectives are going to bring me down. He really gets frightened by them because he sees how he's dogged, you know, by both of them, especially Jack. Jack will just not let go of this because he knows he's on to something. And I know cops that are like this. They get on to something and Suzanne, they will not let go. They will go. They will actually ruin their career doing it, but they will go to the bitter end and keep those notes, keep those murder books for years later, just to get that one person. Wow. I have seen this. Yeah, I have seen this ruin careers. I have seen them work to the point where they've gotten who they need to get, not caring about their family, not caring what they do to other people along the way. They just get an attitude and they just keep moving. It's almost like a sickness with them. And this is what the Oh, to the point of no return. And this is what Jack finally does. And he's so frightened because in the middle of all this, he finally married his girlfriend, Rita. He never had someone to worry about. So now he does. And he wants nothing to happen to her because of the sick people he works with. That's usually where they will go to if they feel they're being, you know, brought down. They will go to a family and hurt a family member, a son, a daughter, a wife, a sister. Mm -hmm. a mother, a father, 
So that's what he's frightened of, that he will lose his wife in this. Another thing that you've done with this that I really liked, you give the reader, in case they don't really know New York, you give them a little primer at the very beginning that introduces them to Sardi's and explains the history of Sardi's and why that's such a an important restaurant. And you talk about Tin Pan Alley. And you go through just a, a litany of the places in New York that people need to understand because mm-hmm. you're giving them an insider. To understand insider. where he is. Yep. And you give them an insider perspective. I just love what you've done with this book. I don't mean to rave, Fonda, oh, but thank you. Thank I you. really like it. You're really such a good writer. I thank know you. I appreciate that. Surely we have hooked our listeners on wanting a copy of the book. It's such a great read. They can go to Amazon. Now, all you have to do is just go to Amazon. If you've never done that before, uh, put Amazon in your search feature, click on it, and your computer will almost magically take you there. You'll find this big search box at the top of their page. The title of the book is simple. It's Samuel, S-A-M-U-E-L, by Fonda, F-O-N-D-A, Saint, abbreviated S-T period, Paul, P-A-U-L. When you click on that, the book will come up and you'll see the book cover. Now, Fonda, is there a story behind the book cover? Um, This was the first time that I did a book cover that usually with Amazon, when you publish with them, they have a whole feature that you can use. Everything has changed in the last five years with self-publishing. So these were stock shots. So I got my assistant, Sam, and we just went in one day. Excuse me. And we literally did the cover in three minutes. Wow. Yeah, we re- we really did. We found, you know, a couple stock things that I liked um, since the opening in the, of the play that uh, the main character does is uh, Allison. Since the main, since opening is Christmas Eve, they had Christmas Eve there. They had a few things that I could use. And we had the tap dancers that I could use a picture that's on the cover. And it just came together. And I said to him, let's stop. We got a cover. And I really liked it. I do, too. Because yeah, it, I really it, liked it a lot. It's got that Broadway New York feel to the cover. Oh, it's it, it does. And that's what I wanted to bring out. That's, you know, when I did Encore, I introduced the Dakota and a little history of the Dakota. And I got such amazing mail from people that enjoyed that. So I wanted them to feel the heat of Broadway. There is nothing in the world like the heat of Broadway. And I wanted them to feel that that Tin Pan Alley feel and Sardi's and all the excitement they could possibly fit in. And the New York Public Library is absolutely stunning. So I wanted them to get a little overview of that. So I brought that in. And people really like that. It Well, it contributes to the setting of the novel because we're familiar with almost every one of those images and explaining the image and bringing it in at the beginning of the novel, I think, allows the reader to pull that in as they need to as they read through the book. And so they take their own tour of New York, thanks to you yes. and your description. And thanks and, to and Samuel like and I, his murder. <laughs> yes. And New York is such a fascinating city. And it, it's so so alive, and it brings so much to a person, even if they're living there or just visiting. And I wanted some. I wanted people to get that excitement. And when I read a book, no matter what kind of book I read, when they give an introduction like that, I enjoy that. 
I really enjoy that. I like to see what their, you know, what where their minds were when they wrote it, and when they bring out certain aspects of what they're writing about. I find that very interesting for the writer him him or herself. So I wanted to bring that to other people as well. Well, with your background, I think that people would realize how much of an insider glimpse this is because you're an insider. So let's tell them about your website. Now, you said it was under construction. You're doing some renovation. It's under construction. We're bringing it up to date, which I haven't done in quite some time. Uh, but it is still com. It should be done within another 10 days. Perfect. We're working on it now. And um, we're also going to be going on to Instagram. And there's quite a bit going on in Facebook right now with it. Excellent. With some media. So, I, you know, I'm trying to keep all that in the air. Gosh. There is a sequel to this book. Tell me about it. Um, the sequel was supposed, well, the bo- both books were going to come out at the same time. Um, right before 2020. But the sequel is going to bring the both of the cops into a different area of their field, um, which is going to be interesting. I'm going to bring them into the special victims unit. Oh. Yeah. With um, And it's going to be taking place at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York. Um, so there will be a sequel because when you finish reading the book, you'll understand why the sequel will be coming. Be- yeah. At the end of this, I'm... I, when I was trying to finish the ending, out of nowhere, a character came to me. And this is literally the truth, out of nowhere. And this character came to me, and I went, oh, my God. And I, I was sleeping, which I don't do well anyway. And I woke up, and I went into my office. And he came at me so strongly that I sat down and I wrote him immediately because I didn't want to miss anything about him. I've never in my life written a character like this. He was so fascinating to me. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. I don't know where he came from. I could, if someone said, well, who'd you fashion him after? No one. He literally came out of a dream. And it was so vivid that I just had to immediately get every part of him down because I was afraid that I would forget. You know what you're describing. You know what you're describing. You're describing that fiction writer's brain, that creative brain that does exactly what you just said. People who don't have that kind of imagination, I think it probably is hard for them to understand that. I know what you mean. I've heard all kinds of authors say say things similar to what you just talked about. And the Mm -hmm. characters are so strong and they won't do things that they won't, that they wouldn't do. They will tell you no. That's right. Yeah, and and they will write. They will almost write themselves. I, I just used air. That's very true. There. Yeah, they just write themselves because that's they're exactly what he did. Yeah, how interesting! And when I, I came wait. out of the when I came out of the dream, I actually bolted in bed and I went, "Oh my god, oh my god!" Because he was what I was looking for. Wow! And I thought I got to get everything about him down now because I knew once he was gone. You know, because when writers write, they think of things and then they try to think of it the next morning or the Mm-mm. next day yeah. and it's gone. No, you it's can't gone. get it back. Yeah. And I, so I just went into my office. I wrote him immediately. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. And you're also doing uh, serial wives about the women. Yes. Who are married We're to doing these... our little love story. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you and I are going to have to talk again. I can already tell. 
Oh, I'd love to. You know that. Oh. I consider you a friend. I just lo- I love and talking to you. It's, I love talking to you. It's so much fun. Thank you. Now, I have one more question. Yes. When our listeners, and I don't see how they can resist, when they pick up a copy of Samuel and they sit down, they might not want to read this late at night. They might want to read it <laughs> when they know someone's in the other room. But when they read Samuel and they've come to the last page, they read that last page, they close the back cover of the book. Is there a message that you want them to leave with, or do you just want them to feel thoroughly and completely entertained by a novel that'll scare their pants off? Um, Probably a little bit of both. What I always say is please be careful. You know, we have a tendency, people, just to move around in our field of vision without looking around, without really taking a look at what's around us. I don't know why people do that, but they do probably human nature. So I tell every class I, I give, every person will say, oh my God, and they'll ask me the same question. And I just say, be careful. Really be careful. I've always had a knack. I, I probably got it from my Sicilian grandmother that always told me, because of the way I was raised, watch what you do. Watch what you're looking at. Really look at it. So I was always cautious. That's probably what saved me living in New York as a young girl. Mm -hmm. So I always say to women, be careful. Just be careful. You know, take a good look because you can be so surprised. And I have been in the past. You can be so surprised by someone you thought you could trust and couldn't. By a surprise, it happens out of nowhere quickly. And I've gotten out of some really deep scraps quickly. Uh, because I, you know, I was able to think to get myself out. But the surprise it leaves you with is devastating. The fear it leaves you with is even more devastating. So I just say, be careful. I think that's an excellent, excellent ending message for this novel. And it is such a pleasure to talk to you. I hear one of the pugs in the background. <laughs> My little baby. <laughs> My old boy. <laughs> it's, I put them on the back cover. I know. I saw their picture, and I chuckled when I saw their pictures. I thought, oh, there are the two muses on the back cover. They're Fonda, so cute. So much fun to talk to you. This is such a Same thrill here. ride of a novel. Thanks for being my guest today. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, thank re- you for having me. It was a pleasure to do it. Believe me. Thank Believe you. Believe me, it was. Thank you. Thank you, dear. We'll talk soon. Yes, we will. Thank you. Now remember, you can find Samuel by Fonda St. Paul on Amazon. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I so hope that you'll join me for our next Books on Air podcast, because remember... You never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.